Hi, everyone. Welcome along. This is Jonathan Corey from Precursive, and welcome back to the latest edition of the Precursive podcast uh, with me, your host and wannabe radio DJ. As for those of you coming back, welcome back. And for those of you joining for the first time, where have you been? Um, in uh, this show, I, I have the great privilege of talking to a lot of people who have a lot more experience and intelligence than I do, and today is no exception. Um, we've been exploring a number of themes in season two centered around how um, services and success organizations in the world of B2B SaaS and high tech uh, have really been shifting their approach and their thinking around customer success services delivery and what are some of the the patterns that are emerging in terms of how companies think about refining and reshaping that customer journey with an emphasis on things like time to value and net retention. Uh, so today I am delighted to be joined by one of the luminaries of the customer success scene which is Peter Lyon who is the VP of customer success at Corpulo. How are you sir? Welcome along. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? Uh, thank you for that uh, amazing introduction. Check is in the post. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And where in the world are you today, sir? Whereabouts are you? So today um, I am in our Cork office. So um, we, we, up until recently, we only had two main offices, but now we have three as a result of a, of a recent merger, um, which I'll touch on later on. But um, so uh, I'm in our Cork office. Um, it's a very lonely place. Um, it's uh, I've been coming down to the Cork office probably for the last few few months, and uh, normally there's about two hundred people here, and today there are just me and one other person. So it's kind of oh, cool wow. because it's 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 if someone had said to me, do you know what? You, uh, many many years ago, you'd always say, I'm going to work from home because I really got to work through some stuff. Now I'm saying I want to work in the office because I really want to work through some <laughs> stuff. So. As, as we all know, um, it's it's um, we're, we're living in such an interesting time and a time where yeah. how we work and, and how we see the workplace um, it, it has really changed. And that's part of what we do with Populo, where we help our customers to communicate uh, internally to their employees to sort of make the employee experience that much more more stronger, to engage people, and now more so than ever, do we need to reach out and communicate so strongly? I, I think I was, I was going to ask because given, given the shift to, you know, in your world doing customer success in this new remote reality and given what you guys provide to your customers, I would imagine there's been significant interest and demand in that because it's one of the things that we as a business have focused a lot on because it's so foreign, this, this, this way of working. So no, not, 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 not at all in terms of like talking about what you do because it, it absolutely influences the, the nature of the show. And, and, and so tell us a little bit more about then what's the scope of your role now? Because, you know, when we chatted last, it, it's been evolving. Uh, so tell, tell the audience a little bit about how, what's the scope of your position. So I joined Popolo in September 2019 and um, when I was sitting down talking to the CEO, Andrew O'Shaughnessy, um, about, you know, what was it that, what was the, the single biggest challenge or problem that Parpado had? Because when I joined Parpado, um, the retention rate was 92, the revenue retention rate was 92%, and logo retention was 94%. So I'm kind of going, what's the problem, Right. And um, so there was a couple of areas that, that he identified. One was 
that um, they realized that they had to improve the professional services side, right? Because the whole onboarding experience, uh, you know, trying to accelerate time to value was a challenge for Popolo because it was a product-based custom, a product-based company, right? A SaaS company purely based on product. And so therefore services wasn't something that was, that, that, you know, the whole process, the whole management practice of a professional services business wasn't something that they had a core competency in. Now I came, I come from a background of, uh, of sales and pro, professional services and process re-engineering and so on, even though I'm the one person in the world who never fought a process, I'm really good at making it for <laughs> other people, right? Um, so, but the second, the second challenge um, that we had was around scaling. Um, Papado had, you know, 25 to 30% year-on-year growth, um, just had a significant investment from a, uh, a, a um, equity company, out of New York. And um, so it had the capital now to invest more in sales and marketing and was going to experience that, that growth. And I think that, um, so what, what we had was a very successful high growth SaaS company that had grown up very, very quickly, had a CS function of about 65 people out of a total of 250 people. So it was a sizable chunk, right? And so the CS department did, did everything from the onboarding through to the adoption, the QBRs and so on, right away through to the renewals. So, you know, cradle to grave, super nuts kind of um, customer journey uh, processes, but they weren't scalable. They were not scalable. The CSMs didn't have a concept of a book of business, didn't have the renewal dates. So there was all this information that was missing, but what they were really good at was customer service. Right, they were really good at customer service, but in order to, if we were to grow at forty percent year on year, which is what our newly found investors were obviously looking for, uh, was we would need to recruit in maybe 15, 20 more CSMs. So straight away, you could see that this is not feasible. So we have to turn to the three things that we always turn to, which is people, systems, and tech, and technology. So taking those three strands. So um, in the first, my first year. It was about moving the needle. That was my mantra. That was my that, that was my crying call. That um, we needed to to in order to move the needle, we had to understand where the needle was, right? And this is this yep. this would be my thesis. You're going to hear this a lot about how important it is to baseline. So people say, well, oh, we got to get from nine, you know, from eighty percent retention up to eighty five percent. Well, okay, but first of all, the good news is you know you're at eighty. There's just so many companies who don't know where, where they're at in terms of their retention number. It's kind of frightening, right? Um, yep. So moving the needle was all about understanding where we were across the book of business, each CSM understanding what the book of business was, what the RAG status was, what the forecast was. And that was critical as well. We have to be able to forecast what we believe the retention is going to be, right? We, we have to get stronger at that. Things like N, NPS, Okay, so we understand where NPS is, but do we know why it is where it is and what we need to do in order to shift it? So that was the first, the, the first year was, well, the first, I planned out the first year and then obviously COVID came along around March time, which kind of 
scuttled a few things and there were some key learnings that we, we may touch on later on that came out of that. One of them, just to, to mention it now, is the pace of change by which when you come into an organization, I learned very quickly that when people are working remotely, you need to slow down your pace of change or you've got to you know, change fewer things because it's harder to mobilize change when everyone is working remotely. And that was one of the key learnings that I took from it. Um, you know, from, and the, it, it took a while for that feedback to sort of seep in because you know, I'm still six months into a new um, company. You're still trying to prove, prove your value. You're still looking for that you know, moment to say, look at the difference I've made. So that was a key learning, if not a mistake as well that um, I made last year. Within that phase though, with COVID and the remote working, a lot has been changing in the world of customer success, which is an area that you like, have a great history in. So how did that fold into all of this experience? Because what are some of the key changes that you've seen over the last couple of years that you were seeing whilst you're having to set up all this stuff? Yeah, I, I think, I. I was thinking about that and thinking, you know, notwithstanding the impact of COVID. So let's say if, if COVID didn't happen, right? Yeah. So what what would have changed, and, and and what is changing? I I firmly believe that customer success is moving more and more into being a management practice, right? So an acceptable part of a business um, with defined frameworks, defined approaches like if you take sales people don't make up new ways of doing you know how you might structure sales or you know it's all been done land expand you know aecsm all these different models right sales is such a it's such a um a known practice marketing is such a known practice and we won't argue about the ifs and buts about different types types of marketing but you know they're management practices, right? They're established. And I think CS is now becoming that way. If you look at, at the, the backgrounds of an awful lot of CS leaders, I think what we're seeing now is that they're not necessarily coming up from the ranks, but they're coming laterally in from other industries or from other parts of the business. And so I, I think that's certainly one of, one of the things that I've seen is that it's we've gone from... Customer success is all about, you know, happy, go clappy customers. It's, it's, it's all about fun and excitement. Yeah, it is, but it's a serious thing too. You know, it's a serious, to be a CS leader, and I'm not pontificating here, you know, you, you've got to really know your stuff. You've got to have such a strong understanding as to how a, a business works, right? Because you've, yep. you, 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 as a CS org, your interface with finance, your interface with marketing, engineering, you know, you're dealing with all people with all different personalities and needs and wants and so on. So just like when you're sitting at that top table, you know, you've got to leave your functional hat, CS hat behind, and you've got to think properly and you've got to think as an executive and you, and you have to think about, well, what does engineering need more than I need? Will I acquiesce my headcount for the sake of getting extra developers in, in order to do this. So, um, so that's, I guess, at, at a very macro level um, where I've seen change. And um, 
certainly from from you know what what some of the uh, events that we've run at Customer Success Network, where I get the privilege of doing what you're doing, where I get to interview lots of other leaders as well. I mean, it's it's great because you get to see the, this this diversity that they have uh, and yeah. and background. So I think that's and if we if we see more competent CS leaders, right, then we should see stronger. CS careers, stronger results from that area, stronger recognition, right? Because the fish rots from the head, right? With you then, so if what I'm hearing then is that, you know, for, for example, you were in commercial role at Capgemini, right? Yeah. Um, and you were doing general management at Esri. So I, I with P&L responsibility and that, that commercial acumen I'd imagine, and and dealing with, like you say, with all the different departments, what you're saying is like that was a great preparation ground, as it were, for being now in the role that you are, it sounds like. 100%. I, I certainly wasn't designed that way. Um, but I, I think, because I think, you know, when we're trying, when you're trying to negotiate with customers, I think the more you understand what's going on in their world, and how their world may operate, um, I, I think is huge. Like knowing the difference between the buyer and the procurement person. And I think that's yeah. a big lesson that some people still don't get. They, they, conf- yeah. they conflate the buyer and the, the, the procurement person. No, you, you don't. The buyer wants your, wants your product, right? And the procurement person wants a discount. So people tend to yep. get confused. So you can be hardball with the procurement person. It doesn't mean you're, you're not following the ethics of customer success. No, absolutely. You go in hard with the procurement person, right? Yep. And then if the procurement person has been really, really bad and nasty, then tell, tell the buyer, you know? So, you know, I, I think I learned that the hard way to be absolutely fair when I was in sales, right? The difference between those, yep. two, those two things. And then that sort of stays... That stays with you, and then I think with the general management and the and the P and L, I think I think what that really has helped me is if I'm running, you know, a, a department of a hundred people, then you know there's a cost implication. So understanding and being able to talk to the CFO, I think, is hugely important, right? So so that yeah. you you look at areas where you can raise revenue. And again, this is one of my bugbears. So people say, oh, we can't do that. You know, let's not charge the customer for customer success. No, 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 no. Hang on a minute. It depends on what you mean. You might not charge them for CSM, but let's look at training. Training, you should be charging for training. But the reason why people don't charge for training is because they don't understand the value that their training is giving to their customers. So go back to baselining. Understand the value that you're creating through training amplify that uh, back to your customer base, show them the worth of it, and they'll say, yes, I will buy that. Because if I'm going to invest, say, 500000 a year in your software, that's probably another quarter million in internal costs. So why wouldn't I spend 50000 a year on making sure people know how to use it? Yep, yeah. Particularly given you've got user turnover and, and employee turnover in companies, right? And there's this ongoing need for adoption and learning. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, um, you know, uh, Pat Phelan, who I know you know, and I yeah. were talking about this on, on um, uh, 
Uh, shout out to Pat because he's wonderful and he's a customer. So if I don't say that he's wonderful, he'll probably call me and tell me <laughs> tell me off. Um, but you know, they rolled out a go cardless as success as a service uh, structure. Um, and I do think that come, people, you know, there's this there's this inhibition about this the value and the chargeability of, of, of services and support and success. Um, we're having this conversation at the moment around one of our enterprise customers, um, and and then you know looking at rolling out one of our products to thousands of people. The natural question for them, and not the illogical question, the natural question for them is, okay, how are we going to do this from a, a change management perspective and a learning perspective? Because there's a huge group of people here. We really love what you do, and we want to get as much value out of it as possible. And so, actually, they want the reassurance that you can provide a services overlay uh, alongside your software. Because if you just say, well, actually, all I want to do, guys, is I want to sell it and switch it on, and then I'll see you later, and we'll come back at renewal time, that doesn't give me reassurance. So I think, actually, particularly in mid-market and enterprise, buyers are looking for providers who can bring a, you know, a form of wrapper around it, because really that's how they're going to realize value. And I think, I think one of the underappreciated things, as I said, is maybe 10, 20% of your users might change in a year, right? Yeah. So there's always this new population of people that have got to learn it. This leads me on to, as if by magic, a next question. Uh, see, I do practice this stuff, actually, Peter. Um, so there's a, we, we find a lot right now that there is, if you go back to, Earlier in your career, I think you would have experienced much more of the silos between sales and professional services and what wasn't customer success. It was account management back then, right? Um, so really, it was actually sales, professional services, support and finance yeah. back in the day. Um, nowadays, you've got this shift towards like almost say, uh, success and professional services coming together, much like sales and marketing have as like under a revenue team we're seeing this convergence between services and success. And I'm very curious to know, because I know that this is something that you're going through and discussing right now in your own business. Tell me, what, what are you seeing here in terms of these two worlds coming together and having to work together? Yeah. Hmm. I, first I say is it, that it's a spectrum of, it's incredibly simple on the left side and incredibly complicated and political on the right side. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is that I look if, if in Popolo, Popolo never had an on-premise um, uh, product, right? So therefore, it does right. not have a professional services ideology that's based upon an on-prem per, uh, uh, perpetual license um, model, right? Now, why is that important? It's important because in an awful lot of SaaS companies now, they still have a high proportion of their customers that are still legacy, they're still on-prem. On so I think if you're a, 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 let's just call it a software company that has gone from being on-premise through to the cloud and you've migrated most of your customers over, then your professional services, how you see professional services will have changed, right? The same way that, that, that the software companies had to move from a, a we're going to get all the software feeds in the first, in the first, with the first order through we're going to get it over, you know, two, three, four, five, six years, whatever. So they become less dependent upon the revenue and the margin 
that comes from a, their professional services team, right? So there's been a shift. So I, I, I think that working in that environment um, will be challenging, right? Because there's so much conflict there in terms of, you know, the business depends upon the margin that's coming in from the professional services. But to some extent, if you're really good at that with your on-prem customers, you're actually reinforcing the need for them to stay on-prem or to stay where they are. Now, that's if you're, you know, on-prem. If you start tomorrow with a new company, that's, you know, obviously it would, only, it would be cloud only, right? 99% of the time. Yeah. Um, then you're probably unlikely to say, let's build a professional services team over here. Let's build a customer success team over here. You're unlikely to do that. Um, and mixed with all that is that, I guess to, to raise it up a bit, is what your exit strategy is, you know, because if I'm building a product that is highly dependent upon customization, then by definition, I'm going to have to have a bunch of people, whatever we call them, who have to do that customization, right? Okay, so now I've got two revenue streams. I've got my customization revenue stream, I'm assuming I'm charging for it, and then I've got my software one. But now you get into all areas of complexity around multipliers. And what's the, if you go for a series A funding, series B funding, and you still have a large chunk of revenue, which is one off versus software, uh, versus, sorry, versus ARR, right? Then your multiplier probably drops. You know what I mean? So, so you, yep. all these factors all swirl around that sort of drives the behavior right, of whomever is leading that PS function or whomever is leading that CS function. So I'll, I am unashamedly biased because I come from the world of PS where there's only three things that matter, utilization, revenue, and um, bookings, right? So that's, that's all you actually live for, right? Um, now, that is counterintuitive to of, let's do this for the customer because we will get over the lifetime, if we have an average lifetime value of nine years for a customer, we do this piece of yep. work, we'll be able to extend that, right? But if you're in the world of PS, then yep. you'll be against that because you have a short-term quarterly target to hit. So to I've probably veered off topic here to, to some extent to your question. No, no, not at all. But so I think it's about, it, now, now the argument comes about how do we measure how we do things off core product, right? So if, if we have a product that has a very, very strong API and we have customers that from time to time want something done that's outside of our core product, right? Okay, let's call it professional services. We're gonna go in and we're gonna write some code and we're gonna do something because they want it done that way. Then fine, you can make a decision. If you're running that department, Though if you have control over those people and you're measuring them by retention and by time to value, I think you're on a winner because now you can make those tactical, if you like, short-term decisions. I'm going to use these, my implementation engineers or my um, developers to do this 15 days of work for this customer because I know it's going to get the renewal in. It's going to help us maybe sign a three-year, five-year, multi-year multi deal. So I'm going to 
reward them based upon retention and more importantly, time to value. Yeah. Uh, so you 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 yeah you you struck upon a number of things there. So how do you harmonize these two worlds? Because I'm assuming in in, in your world both of these teams are up into you. Is that correct at the moment? Okay. Yes. So yes. you you talked about that classic world of services and the metrics that matter there being things like utilization and bookings and and you know margin and and revenue and these types of things. Okay. Well, services revenue, for example. And then you've talked about um, some of the more uh, customer success orientated metrics that are still linked to services like, for example, time to value, right? Um, now, how, if you don't mind me asking them, what have you done? How do you sort of, because clearly you care about both things, but like, how do you harmonize? How do you harmonize and sort of reconcile these worlds? Do you just measure and care about everything or have you, got your team also to maybe center around one or two metrics that keeps everyone focused on the North Star? So, okay, first of all, it ain't perfect because there's no just thing yeah. as a perfect world, right? Because there's always something that's yeah. going to screw it up for you, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's, if you look at, so it, it comes back to management practice, okay? So what is it that we do? Okay, well, first of all, my leadership team are all aligned, right, around a seamless customer experience. I'm not going to talk about mapping out some customer journey because I we're all kind of over that. <laughs> but it, we, we, we understand, you know, that customer experience. So accelerated time to value. Now, what everyone latches around that, the CSM latches around that because the customer is, is you know, high-fiving because, hey, we got there earlier. We, we, you know, we got that to that point of value, right? The implementation guys are you know, off the project, but they also can see that because we measure everything, look, we actually came 15%. We delivered that 15% earlier than what we said we would, right? So, so therefore, they feel good about that. The expand reps are able to go in and they, they're not on, under me. But the expand reps can then expand that customer quicker, which means if they're expanding, the retention happens, the renewal happens, which means my renewals team feel good about it. The CSM feels good about it. So everyone understands the correlation and the relationship between all these different things. So accelerated time to value, expected outcomes, a superb customer experience, those three things equal retention. Right. So, yeah. so that's so that's the North Star. That's the that's the strategy. Right. And we, we try to give as much clarity around strategy. Right. And underpinned by that, obviously, is a strong culture. But that's probably a completely different topic for a different pod, podcast, which we'd love to do around culture. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. and then the last not the last thing, but then you've got to underpin that with your um, bonus systems. So um, our uh, service delivery managers, which is what we call our onboarding team, um, they are measured on, I think it's uh, 50% on retention and 50% on revenue. So, you know, you, 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 it, it's, it's, it's getting those, those, two, those two worlds. I'm not saying it's perfect, but what I'm saying is that it sends out a message that there's two things that you do care about. One is 
revenue, and the other one is the retention. Now, the one thing I will say, though, uh, is it's super important if you are, if you do have that team of people within your customer success group, to me, and again, this is just, I'm old school, margin. You must understand margin. Now, doesn't mean that you lead with margin. It doesn't mean that you, you punish the customer or the salesperson or the delivery guy with margin. No, no. If you understand how much margin you make implementing and standing up, setting up your, your, your platform, then therefore you understand how much time you're taking. If you understand how much time you're taking, you understand all the different components. If you do that, now you can tackle inefficiencies bit by bit by bit, as opposed to just looking at something and saying, how do you make it quicker? Uh, I'm not really sure. But what are all the different components? So understand margin. That means that if you can then work towards that concept. Now, I, it was David, Dave Kellogg. I think you, you, you had him on your yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, Dave Kellogg. Um, yeah, no, no, no well, he, he's, uh, he's someone, he's a bit of an inspiration for me. I love Dave yeah. Kellogg, but yeah, go on. We yeah, were chatting about him last time, that's why. It's all right. So it's the yeah, same yeah. here. But, um, you know, that, you know, why do services exist? Well, they exist to drive yep. A or R, right? Whilst not losing money. Now, that last bit, right, is critical. How do you know you're not losing money? Well, they have to understand margin, right? So it all comes uh, back yeah. down to margin, right? So yep. but a lot of people who move into CS don't understand margin because then they never had to worry about it. So, yeah. That's one thing I would always say to, to, to a CS leader or to anyone who wants to be a CS leader, you need to understand margin. In fact, if you're really clever, understand the difference between markup and margin. But again, that's a different topic. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always very surprised. I mean, I, I try and spend as much time talking to customers and prospective customers as possible. I, mean, I, I like you, come from a sales background, so I love talking to people uh, and engaging with, with, with people. And I always find it very surprising when companies that we talk to, because we operate in the services delivery space, as you know, I'm always very surprised when we talk to teams that track time, but they don't track margin. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, okay, so what you're telling me is you have a budget of, of 30 hours or 50 hours or 100 hours, and you want it and you, you set a budget and then you plan stuff out. And then what happens if you're at 50 hours, not 30 hours? Oh, well, we're just over. And I'm like, yeah, but you're losing money. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. and, and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, and I said, well, do you want to track margin? Because you, track, you, you can track margin in precursors. And they're like, no. And I say, okay, well, are you tracking gross margin at a company level? I'm like, yeah. So, well, someone's going to start asking you for this information <laughs> at some point in the near future. Um, and then you, you, we sort of see it with companies over time. They always sort of move there. But I think it's, it's very true. It's kind of like one of those fundamentals that I think people in, let's call it traditional professional services environments, kept Gemini's and Young, that was what it was because you only had time. You were paying for time. You didn't have this product recurring revenue. That old adage, I worked in consultancy, you start from zero, right? So yes. that's why it's always been, been so important. Um, I think there's a great, I just want to pause and pull up because we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the specific things that you've been doing in your own business. And I, I try and summarize on these, these shows, Peter, at the end, but I'm actually going to just pause and summarize some of the key, key things that I think are fantastic insight. 
um, which is number one, I think if you're providing a good service, it's not good enough. You were saying that when you joined great customer service, but you didn't see it in those retention rates. And I think what you unpicked was that you have to have this infrastructure that supports the business and the growth. You need to baseline where you're at and look at, okay, what actually are the retention rates? Ask why, what are the key metrics? Ask why, and then be very realistic about how you're gonna change them, which I think is fantastic insight and very pragmatic. Um, I think you're saying that, and we're hearing this more and more that CS is gonna become this management strategy, I think with consistent metrics and consistent way of calculating them also, which I think is very interesting. You're singing from my hymn sheet, which is the onboarding experience has a direct correlation to retention, which I 100% yeah. agree with. And then I think that the new formula, if you will, for a modern services organization is, is accelerated times to value, times outcomes, times experience, whilst not, not losing money. Should we yeah. So I think all of that is, uh, is very relevant. Let's turn to in the last few minutes now, because uh, you're very what we want to do in these shows is is sort of see what people are doing in their own businesses a little bit more and you very kindly offered to, to share some things there so you talked about the first year when we talked last time you talked about some of the things that you've really been focused on on, on refining uh in your organization what have you been focused on and why tell us a little bit about that so the 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 second year mantra was moving the conversation okay right? So first was moving the needle, second year was yep. uh, moving the conversation. And as we got a lot of the fundamentals right, in terms of the CSMs and you know, understanding the book of business, forecasting individual book of business, you know, you know, and then how that aggregates up and so on and so on. You know, so we did all that better at risk, better at planned prioritization of work, better processes around escalation. So we had we, we put in all of those fundamentals, which allowed us allows us to then scale without you know with comparative ease. It's still really difficult, but it's easier <laughs> if you have these systems already in place. So moving the conversation is about how we take our CSMs in particular. Everyone obviously, but we then look at the CSMs. And there's a few things that I think are absolutely critical. One is career pathways, right? Your CSMs, it's really difficult to get highly talented CSMs, right? Because the job market is hot out there, right? And there's an awful lot of people who are CSMs who probably shouldn't be CSMs, right? They're accidental CSMs, right? But like accidental landlords, you know, due to their housing crisis or whatever, right? So, um, so having career pathways, is absolutely vital. So that's one of the things to be focused on. And in order to do that, we, I, I created a, a CS operations team. And I think that was a game changer for us. We have two people that are highly competent at two things. One is program management of change management. And the second is process re-engineering. So rather than get my highly valuable CS leaders bogged down in process re-engineering and all sorts of things, no, let's bring people who are able to do that, who can work with them and break it down. So getting the CS operations team fully functional, um, that was absolutely key. Getting career pathways lined up. So when you join Populo as a, a customer success associate, you can see your pathway all the way up to being 
the VP of CS. And if you didn't want to be, a, uh, if you wanted to stay as an individual contributor, then you can see the pathway into being, say, an enterprise or a strategic customer success manager or something like that. So but they were, and coupled with that then was to say, okay, what are the competencies that we all need to have, right? So coming back to the CSMs in popular who were brilliant at, at, uh, at customer service and they, were, they know the product inside out. Why? Because they're coming, most of them came from the support team. So that was the other thing as well that uh, we've now made the, the, the support team as the engine. It, that's our nursery, if you like. That's our, you know, I'm a big, yeah. Chelsea, I'm a big Chelsea fan, right? Huge Chelsea fan. If you look at how Chelsea... The academy. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um, and how they've managed to do that and how they managed to get some great stars through. Now, whether you like Chelsea or whether you don't, let's appreciate the, the strategy, right? And I think that that's hugely important. And so we, we preload our support team sometimes, knowing that, well, I'm going to have a vacancy in, in, uh, at the CSM in a few months' time. So let's maybe bring in some people already. So, and lastly, it was. Um, equipping the CSMs with the right soft skills. So giving them that, those skills and, and getting you know, external coaches in to help them present better, help them manage tasks better, right? So, and I think that this is, again, learning and, and development is something that I've always been very, very passionate about. And I've seen the benefits of it, right? Of investing in your people. So in order to move the conversation. And that was really about how do we move from talking to one level to talking to the next level? And in order to do that, you've got to have the skills, the equipment inside your head, if you like, to be able to have that. I won't say strategic conversation because that's a bit throwaway, right? A more relevant conversation with who you're talking to. So that's what yeah. we're doing. That, that's our big focus whilst we build on all the other things that we did in, in the previous year. So the needle is all about the baseline, the metrics, understand the quantitative data. Now we move into a more qualitative world. Okay, that's very interesting. So just for clarity then, because the, there's a few things that people might be very interested in here. So the, the change management element, is that for internal change management and change management with clients? Is it that's both or is it mainly... Or focused internally, um, it's it, it's it's both, but 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 um, we yeah. the CS operations are change management internal. We did move our onboarding team to think more change management. So I'm answering your question in a slightly different way. But in terms of CS yeah. operations, that's purely about how we do internal change, right? Um, and I think it's absolutely necessary, particularly when you get to a particular size of a company. Look, if you're a startup with 15 people, you're not going to have a CSOps department, right? No. But if you're, if you're no. 300 or 400, right, well, then, yes, I think it's, you need to have a, a somebody who's doing that program management of change inside your own company. And you can bring some of those learnings into how you deal with customers. Yeah, yeah. Well, back in your Cappy Y days, you would have that change management element was was a was absolutely critical. And I, I used to way back when I used to work in recruitment, recruiting change managers actually for for the NHS, like interim change managers. It is a big gap, and I think 
because there's this disconnect because there's services and there's the training that you do in the services delivery. And then there's another form of that training and adoption, which a CSM might be doing. But let's be honest, they're not a change manager. And a lot of the problem is that people conflate change management with training. And it's not because the change management element is the person who's going to kick the ass of the people internally and tell them not ask them, but tell them that they're like, oh, well, why have I got to do a timesheet? So like, well, how else do you think you're going to get paid? Like they, they've got to, they've got to have that hard conversation because otherwise the CS, this, this, and I think this is where a lot of, I think a lot of CS people in who have are with relatively complex products or an enterprise market, that, that's where a lot of this challenge sits because they're sort of pushing on this thing and, and, and you're reliant on, the, the people that you work with, your, your your customers, your users, being good citizens and actually doing what they're supposed to be told. Or you're reliant on them having a good manager driving that change. And the yeah. best projects I find with our customers is you find that there's strong change management and or there's people that have done this type of services delivery change before. So they know how to drive that change. But I think that is I, I, that, that for me is going to be one of the big evolutions of CS is that change management capability for sure. Hundred percent. I, I take a very very quick yeah. quick um, anecdote. So um, yesterday, no, go for it. yesterday um, I was talking to uh, my head of service delivery onboarding, right? And yep. um, we had just finished um, onboarding a, a a new customer. However, the buyer in the new customer was a previous user of Populo in their previous company, right? And there was 12 months had passed since she was first, since this person was onboarded using pre-service delivery in Populo services versus now where we do use them. So it was excellent sort of use case. So we asked a very simple question. So, Talk to us about your first experience with Popolo. And she said, well, you know, it was all right. Um, the, the onboarding, you know, it took longer than we thought. You know, we, you know, there was no one really controlling us. Now, talk to us about onboarding with a service delivery manager. Well, she said, look, the difference was unbelievable. Um, and that you controlled us. You made sure that we were staying on point. You made sure that we understood our role and responsibility. Right. So that was really, really heartening for me to hear um, because it was a customer validating the difference. Then look, it doesn't always go that way. There was one customer of ours that just blatantly refused to follow any of our recommendations. And it took nine months as opposed to three months. Right. So it doesn't right. always work. Yep. But when it does work and when you get that validated. So to your point, the role of the project, I think that what, what's happening was that the, all the best intent are CSMs and other people were assuming that the customer was going to do what they had to do on their side. Whereas the project manager, a good one, would never assume anyone is ever going to do what they're supposed to do, right? So yeah. I think, you know, that was a great, great sort of um, uh, story and a great sort of anecdote, um, you know. And I, I, yeah, I, yeah I, I totally buy into it. I, so, the, yeah. This is the type of conversation, so don't worry about going off track. So the, 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 I had the same conversation this morning internally, right? So I was talking with our head of services, Debbie. She used to be a customer of ours. She was at a company called Archiva, and she implemented Precursive there, right? And we have been talking about 
the the change management and the innate and, and enablement and scale and how are we going to scale yep. it and there's this conversation going on about does cs do training does the services team own the training like there's these different elements because we have different types of people there are some elements of training that is much more generic than others and there's other elements of training that is much more related to the customization that the customer has. For example, it might be their revenue recognition or an automation from Salesforce, right? And so what I've been trying to get these, these two groups to realize is like, look, like certain skill sets that we've got are better suited to those types of conversations. Like this more scalable piece, arguably, yes, that can be in CS at the moment, but this piece over here that is more tailored should really be housed with, with, with services. And, um, and and the, and and she said, yeah. She said, but let, but we're not that. We're very dry. We're just not that cool or engaging. Do you know what I mean? And I said, well, hold on. I said, that 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 actually is quite the opposite of what the customer wants. In my opinion, what the customer wants to hear from is a someone who's a practitioner, which is you. You've been in their shoes. B, you're doing this all the time with uh, all of their other peers, right? And they and you build up this level of trust, so they will. It doesn't matter if it's not like some flashy thing; you'll get it done, right? And and that initial credibility in change management is critical because it's that initial like, does this person really, really, really get it? It doesn't need to be always bang, because what companies have to realize is actually that adoption takes probably takes you know two to three months, right? Because it, it's not just oh, go live and, you know, train the trainer and it's all ready. So, no, I, I think I think the example that you gave is, is great. Uh, I'm conscious of the time. Um, so I, I know that there was a couple of things that you had been doing in terms of making some of the improvements in time to value. Do you mind just quickly, have you got a couple more minutes and you could share those? Do you mind, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so... It's when we sat down and we, and we baseline how long it was taking us. So, so we had, um, yeah. we've got, um, you know, let's just call it two different types of, of licenses. We have enterprise and we have non-enterprise, just to keep it simple, right? <laughs> I know okay, it, I could talk about different licenses, but we just don't want to go down. Yeah, yeah. So, let's not so, get into excuse. <laughs> yeah. So, so what we did was um, we, it, the first thing we did, I mean, let me get to the end bit. We reduced our onboarding time by 34%, right? And that, I won't go into some specific time uh, for confidential reasons, but that's a lot of time, right? That's a lot of time, okay? And that, so, um, but we were also able to increase our pricing. So what we've managed to do is by understanding the margin, I'm going back to that bit, by breaking all the, the onboarding project activities into individual components and understanding who is doing what we were able to bring in efficiencies um, we were able to identify where things were going wrong we were able to identify whether well, we actually accelerated this bit and we did this bit with the customer first rather than last and that actually has a positive effect on the onboarding time right but more importantly we were able to lead the customer and i think that this is really really important Right, which was that it was <laughs> it was no longer acceptable for anyone to say to the customer during the kickoff meeting, "What would you like to use it for?" Right, because that's not no. You walk in and you say, based upon your profile and what the sales guys, if you manage to get that off the sales guys, uh, have told me, this is what you are using it for. So this is how we actually should move ahead with it. Right, 
So understanding that, um, sorry, understanding that what was hugely important to lead the customer apropos what you had said a few minutes ago, right? So I know I've done this so many times. Let me tell you how this goes. So you lead the customer until they say stop because yep. that's what they want, right? So let them yep. say stop. Don't be afraid. The other thing we did was we split it into two things. So what we did, we, we, we were having these kickoff meetings and trying to get everyone from the customer in there, right? And yep. you had half the yep. people's board half the time and the, and, and the other half just weren't really interested because they were given yep. the software, right? The buyer is long since gone. So we, we said, no, no, let's split it in two. Let's have an implementation meeting where we don't have some of the buyers there, some of the end users. They're not interested in SSO or DMZs or whatever, right? So let's yep. split it in two. So we said we have our implementation kickoff and then we have our success planning session. So straight away, we're changing that narrative. And that success planning session, the output is a plan that defines success. But more importantly, it defines value. And we haven't got there yet, right? But we, are now, we now have an OKR that every single enterprise customer and mobile customer will have a success plan, right? So that's yeah. our... Okay, or now it's defined in our strategy. Now we're going to execute this. This goes back to management practice, right? So the goal here is that the customer, the value point is not when they're able to send the first communicate through popular. Their, yep. their value is when, if they are embarking upon a campaign around diversity and inclusion, and they're communicating various different topics around this very important issue, to other employees and all of the, the surveys and results coming back are saying, yes, this campaign is making a difference. That's value. Now, yeah. to be very, very clear, that does not mean that your onboarding metrics are, you know, you still have to have your, an onboarding metric that says a go live, okay? Or if you like a readiness that the customer is now ready or is now enabled to make maximum use are to make appropriate use of the, of the platform. Now, the value yep. piece, the true value piece, is what the CSM should be latching onto and running with, right? Meanwhile, the implementation guys, hopefully, have, have, have done their job. They've moved on to the next thing, right? And the CSM yep. didn't spend hours and hours talking about architecture and all sorts of things that they don't need to. Love it. I love it. I think there's there's something in there which I'm thank thank you very much indeed for your time. I do do greatly appreciate it. Um I think there's so much insight in here and I'm one hundred percent gonna be trying to tap you up for your career pathway, some sort of information there, because we're, we're we're doing that at the moment. But um I um I, I'm a big I'm a big believer that I think that like you say, how there's this there's this common um management framework. I think that language is so important in, in the world in general because it sets the tone for what you're trying to achieve. Um, one of the things that we talk about internally and with our customers is this idea of like success-led services. So for example, in, in one of our kickoffs, it's led by the CSM, but with the implementation manager there. And um, one of the things that kind of inspired that was I went to this, um, I went to this talk once with a Pixar director right? You know, the, the, the movie studio at the Dreamforce conference. 
Mm-hmm. And normally I'm just, I was there on a, on a booth or meeting clients or whatever it was. And I went, it was the one session that I've ever been to at Dreamforce when I wasn't in the pub, obviously, as well, Peter. Uh, but the, the director said he was talking about narratives. And um, he said that there's two main types of narratives in storytelling. One narrative is the stranger who comes to town and changes the world around them. Right. And so if you've seen like, you know, if you like old Westerns, for example, great examples of that. Uh, you know, there's that old movie with Bruce Willis and Christopher Walken and, and, and reminded me of that. And then the other narrative is where the, the hero goes on a journey, right? And if you look at a lot of the Pixar movies, that's, that's the narrative. And I kind of think about this, this success-led services environment as PS are the people that come in and change the world around them because they're taking that old way of working and they're modernizing it and making it better. And then the CS team are the ones that are, you know, taking the hero, which is the customer, on the journey. Uh, so I think that is my Friday thought for the day. So thank you ever much for, for joining. Did you enjoy it? It was super. And, you know, it, 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 when, you, when you prep for something like this, it, it, it helps you crystallize your own thoughts. And um, even more so when you play it back. You kind of go, yeah. Okay, all right, all right. That's that sounds good. Or else maybe I should change that one. No, but it's been an absolute yes. pleasure, uh, Jonathan. Brilliant. Uh, super seeing Brilliant. you again and talking to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen. Thanks to all of our listeners. So uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And for more amazing content, head over to precursive.com because if I don't say this, my marketing team will kill me. Uh, one of the things, if you're interested in this success-led services topic, is to check out our latest white paper, which is called The Traditional Services Delivery is Dead, with contributions from Stage, Cognite, uh, and Info- Infosys, uh, which is a great piece. Uh, and uh, have a great weekend, everyone, even if you might be listening to this on a Monday. <laughs>